Matthew chapter 2. If you're wondering where Matthew is, it's one of the easiest books in the Bible to find. It's at the beginning of the second half of the Bible, the New Testament. We'll be looking at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 2 is where we're going to start. And I'm going to invite all of us here as we get into God's Word this morning to rise to your feet. I know we've been standing for a little bit already, but why don't you stand up once again. I'm going to invite you to read the Word of God with me this morning and help me preach in this place this morning. Do I have a proactive church in this place this morning? By proactive church, I mean you're not afraid to shout to God. Will you shout to God in this place right now? By proactive church, you mean, I mean you're not afraid to say amen. Everyone say amen. Amen simply means I agree. And when you, you hear something that resonates with your heart from the stage, you can say amen. It's a way to own what we're learning this morning. I hope you take some good notes this morning. But right now we're going to read the word of God together. And so would you read in a big, loud voice, Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Let's read together right now. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Then Herod told the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented with gifts of gold, of incense, and of myrrh. Before you take your seats, let me introduce to you the name of today's message. Would you turn your neighbors on your right and your left, give them a high five, and tell them this. Today, the message is called, Be the Star That You Are. Would you turn your neighbor, give them a high five, and say, I think I'm looking at a star. I think I'm looking at a star. I think I'm looking at a star. Please have your seats. I think you just made someone's day by saying that. Some of you are wondering, why does Pastor JB always tell us to say stuff that sounds like a pickup line? The fact is this, you are a star. According to God's word, you're a star. And we're going to look at that this morning. If you are having a stressful time this Christmas season so far, then this message is for you. I hope that this message is going to encourage you and give you a way to move forward in your life today. Maybe you're here and you are trying to make the most of this Christmas season. You don't want to let this Christmas season pass by without, you know, making the most of it. If you don't want to go through the motions of another Christmas, you want to make the most of the season, then this message is for you as well. Today we're talking about a message called Be the Star That You Are. When I was five years old, I received a Christmas present that I loved, and it wasn't a Nintendo Switch, uh, it wasn't Pokemon cards, it was a book about the solar system. And for some reason, I was so into that book, I still remember what the book looked like. It was this thin book with a cover, with a night sky, with all these stars. I remember taking that book with me, I'd go everywhere with that book, I'd, I'd read about planets and the solar system, the sun, stars, all that stuff. And I loved that book so much, I would even go to sleep with that book from time to time. And it affected me so much, it started to spill into other parts of my life. For example, I had this teddy bear called Winnie the Pooh that I would sleep with, and I started to call him, not Winnie the Pooh, I started to call him Earth, because I was so into planets. You know, I had a babysitter uh, called Celia, but because I was so into planets, I called her Venus. And, you know, Venus means the Roman goddess of love and beauty, and so she loved that name. You know, I would say, oh, hey, Venus. She goes, ah, and, and it's because she loved that name. I love planets. You know, I, I tried calling my parents Jupiter and Saturn, but they weren't into that. They're like, please just call us mom and dad. Uh, later on in life, I started to date this very cute girl called Charlene. And uh, at that time, we had this nickname for one another. You know what the nickname is? It's kind of corny now, but let me share it with you today. Uh, is both of us back then, uh, we were really into these two Japanese Sanrio anime characters called the Little Twin Stars. Have you seen that before? Little Twin Stars? And, uh, and I, I, don't know, I don't know if you think that Pastor Charlie and I look like the Little Twin Stars. I'm not really sure. But we kind of identify with Little Twin Stars for some reason. And so their names are Kiki and Lala. And so guess what we called each other? I called Charlene Lala. And then Charlene would call me Kiki. Thank God she doesn't call me Kiki anymore. And you don't need to call me Pastor Kiki, please. All right? And the fact is this, that she doesn't call me Kiki anymore. But if you look at my phone, you won't find the name Charlene in my phone. But you will find Lala. And so if you ever see me on my phone talking to someone very romantically called Lala, know that that's my wife. It's not someone else. All right? 
Yeah, that's my wife, Charlene. I call her Lala, sometimes even to this day. And I find this, growing up, I had this fascination with stars. But I don't think I'm the only one. In fact, I believe that around the world, people have this fascination with stars. For example, just this week alone, this coming week, there is a new movie that's coming out that could possibly be the most highly anticipated movie of all time. What is it? It is Star Wars. It's The Rise of Skywalker. You guys going to see that movie? Some of you may already have tickets to that movie. It's a highly anticipated movie. It's about Star Wars. What's the hottest TV show on TV, or one of them at least, over the past 14 years, over the past 29 seasons? Millions of people will go on a Monday night to watch Dancing with the Stars, right? What's the first song or one of the first songs that a baby will learn no matter what country that they're in? What is that song? It's Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, right? Why is it that we have this fascination with stars? And why am I mentioning it today? Is because, isn't it interesting that on that very first Christmas day, when God led these magi, these wise men from the east to Jesus Christ as a baby, he did so by way of a star. And just as God used a star to lead the magi to Jesus, I believe that God continues to use stars to lead people to Jesus today. But those stars are not necessarily stars in the sky. Those are stars that you'll find on this earth. It's the people that God places in your life. It's you and me. Amen. In fact, you're going to find this over and over. The Bible actually compares God's people to stars. If you don't leave, look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 with me right now. What does it say? It says, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Shine like stars in the universe. Look at Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. What does it say? It says, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. See, over and over, the Bible compares God's people with stars that shine. And perhaps the most famous saying of all when it comes to, you know, being someone who lets their light shine, it's Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. This is Jesus talking. What does he say? Proactive church, read with me in a big, loud voice. One, two, three, it says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. See, when Jesus spoke these words 2,000 years ago, he knew full well he was who he was talking to. When he was talking to these crowds that would be hanging on every word he spoke and he would say, you are the light of the world. He knew that the people listening to him had major struggles going on in their lives. He knew that the people he was talking to had major issues that they were dealing with, that they maybe had made, made, made major mistakes, had gone through some, some, some terrible trauma. They might have gone through some stuff that would be considered awful stuff that no one wants to go through. And yet, despite all that, despite the sin in our lives, despite the mistakes we make, Jesus says, to those people listening back then and he says to people reading today you are the light of the world why why does he say that it goes to show that you don't have to have it all put together to make a difference in this world you don't have to have a perfect background a perfect past a perfect set of skills and talents to be a difference maker in this world that you were made to be like a star that shines and you want to let your light shine and let people see it so that you can make a difference and people will praise your father in heaven if you believe that say amen and see since you're a star since god calls you a star today i want to talk about how you can let your light shine this christmas three ways that you can let your light shine this christmas and and as i give you point number 1 i hope you take some good notes in this place today proactive church is when i give you point number 1 let me tell you something is i was actually thinking about sharing this one point with you next week at a Christmas service. But for some reason, I was getting this message ready. I sensed that someone had to hear this today. And so I'm gonna share it with you today, but on one condition, on one condition. I'm gonna share it with you today, but on one condition, which is this. Do you promise that if I share this next week, because I'm gonna know next week is not about us. Next week is about our friends, our family members, our neighbors who don't normally go to church, who maybe never stepped into church before, and we want to share with them the amazing message that God loves them. And so when we come here next week, it's not about us. It's not about us. It's about them, and so we want to serve them. And so if I happen to share a little bit or part of this next week, will you promise to be just as excited as if you're hearing it for the first time? Is that okay? 
Is that all right? Okay, and so on that condition, could I share this with you today? If you want to let your light shine before men, if you want to be someone who is the star that you are and you shine the light that God made you shine, here's the first thing that you want to do. Number one, do the right thing even when it's hard. Do the right thing even when it's hard. See, are you facing a difficult, stressful season right now? Maybe exams are going on. Maybe stuff in your family is not going well. Maybe work, there's a bunch of crises you're trying to fix. I find this, is that when I'm going through a stressful time in my life, there are two things that help me find peace in that stressful time. Let me share the first one with you. The first way that helps me find peace in my stress is when I give the situation to God. I find this, is that no matter how frustrating, how difficult, how big, how huge, how great the problem I'm facing may be, it's always good to remember God is greater than my problem. And that if you will make it a point to say, I'm not just going to try to figure this out myself, but I'm going to give my burdens to God. What's going to happen is when you give your burdens to God, God gives you something in exchange. You know what that is? It's called his peace. It's called his peace. For as long as you hold it in and try to figure all these things by yourself, you're not going to be at peace. But when you give it to God and you surrender to God, for some reason, the Bible says there's a peace that passes understanding that God gives to us to guard our heart and our mind. That's the first way that I find peace in a stressful situation. But there's a second way. And the second way is this, is when you're stressed out, when things are not going your way, when there's a challenge in front that seems really great, how do you find peace? The second way is do the right thing. Do the right thing. This past week, I did something that I never thought I would do. This past week, I went to see a movie by myself. That's not unusual for me. I, I go to movies by myself from time to time. Uh, you know, Pastor Charlene and I, we have this understanding that you know, m- movies are kind of like uh, something that I will love to watch. Movies are something for Charlene, which are more like a lullaby that lulls her to sleep. All right. And so very often when we're in a movie theater, the two of us are sitting in two seats, and I will be here going, oh, oh, wow. Oh, 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 oh. And, and, and then Pastor Charlene will, so, so we, we, we have this understanding that sometimes I go to movies by myself, and so that's not anything new. But what is the thing that I never thought I would do that I did this past week? It was the movie that I decided to go watch. You know what movie I decided to watch this past week? You know what it was? It's not a movie that I would normally go see, but I went this past week to see Frozen 2. Not with my wife, not with my kids, by myself. A Frozen 2, please. Oh, for, for how many? Uh, just one. Just one. And, and you'll be, why did you go see Frozen 2 by yourself? And let me, let me just clarify. It's not because I'm a huge Disney fan. It's not because I really wanted to see Frozen 2. It's not because, as my, my wife likes to make fun of me, it's not because I love princesses. It's not because of those things. The reason I went to see Frozen 2 is because I know that Frozen 2 is very much in the consciousness of pop culture right now. And as a communicator of God's word, I want to understand it. I want to be able to relate that to what God is saying and God's love for people. And so that's why I went to see it, okay? That's not because I love princesses, all right? Okay? All right? And so it's for, it's for the love of the church. It's for the love of the lost, I went to see Frozen 2, okay? All right? Is everyone straight on that? All right? Okay? And so Jesus went to the cross. Pastor JB went to Frozen 2, all right? And, and he, you know, I, I had to suffer a little bit. So Jesus suffered much, much more. But the fact is, I went to Frozen 2. I picked this time to go to Frozen 2 that hopefully no, not, not a lot of people would go. Uh, and uh, I, I went there, and there's about seven people in the theater. And uh, I go there. I take my seat. And, you know, it, it was okay. It was, it was pretty good. It was a pretty good movie, you know. A, a few kind of hokey parts where there's you know, reindeer are singing. I'm like, oh, like, you know. But 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 there was one quote from this movie that stuck with me, and it stuck with me so much that I even wrote it down. And it stuck with me so much that not only did I write it down, but I I, I brought it here to share with you this morning. And 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 that's this. It's the, it's the quote from Frozen Two where, where where they say, "When you can't see the future, the thing to do is the next right thing." When you can't see the future. The thing to do is the next right thing. Maybe you're here right now, and the fact is you're going through a really scary time. Maybe it's a really uncertain time when it comes to your future. Maybe the health of someone you love or your own health. Maybe regarding your marriage, your finances, your work, your career. And you have a tough time seeing what's up ahead. A lot of things feel like they're beyond your control. You're not really sure what to do. A part of you is worried. Instead of trying to figure it all out by yourself, can I, do, can I ask you to do this? Can I encourage you to do this? Just do the next right thing. 
You know, maybe you're here, you're in an environment right now in your workplace or at home or with your friends, which is not a very bright place right now. Morale is kind of low, you know, where people aren't, you know, not feeling it. You're not feeling it very, very good about things going on right now. And there's a part of you that given all the negativity around you, there's a part of you that just kind of wants to turn off the light and just give up. Can I tell you this? Don't give up. Remember that stars shine the brightest when the night is darkest. And so don't treat that as a chance to turn off your light. Treat that as an opportunity to say, it's time to let my light shine even more. If you believe that, say amen. You're to find this is that when you do the right thing, even when it's hard, the result you get is peace. Approximately 3,000 years before a troll said this in Frozen 2, The Bible was saying something very similar. Can I show it to you right now? Psalm 85, verse 10. Could you read it with me? Read it with me in a big, loud voice. One, two, three, it says, Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Would you underline those words if you have it? And and just underline these words, the second half. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. What does that mean? See, Psalm 85, verse 10, is comparing righteousness and peace to a couple that loves one another. It's, it's kind of like, you know, sometimes in Hollywood you hear about these different power couples. You know, these two really powerful people, maybe two celebrities, two singers, two actors. They come together as a couple. We call them a power couple. A lot of them don't, don't often last. But in the Bible, there is a couple, a power couple, that will last forever. And it's righteousness and peace. It says righteousness and peace kiss each other. Mwah. They kiss each other because they go together. And see, what does that mean? It means that when you do the right thing, even when it's hard, the result is peace. Peace in your heart. Peace starts to you know, bubble up into your circumstances and the relationships there. And so when you are in a stressful time, not only do you want to give the situation to God, but even more, you want to do the right thing even when it's hard. For example, this past week, I was talking to a friend who's been under a lot of stress lately. And how many of us know that sometimes stress that we go through is beyond our control? Sometimes the stress we have is because of stuff that you know, is, is going around around us. But sometimes, we have to really be honest with ourselves, our stress is self-induced. Sometimes we create our own stress. And sometimes it's because of mistakes we've made. And, and we had a, I had a friend I was talking to this past week who, who made some very serious mistakes and who hurt a lot of people because of those mistakes. And he had to learn to do the right thing, to actually own up to those mistakes. And for the longest time, he didn't. For the longest time, he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to deal with it. And he just kind of held it in. But finally, you know, just recently, he, he, he said, you know what? I made a mistake. I'm sorry. And as a result, even though it was the hard thing to do, it was the right thing to do. And as a result, though people were hurt, the relationships over time are starting to mend. His, there's peace in his heart now, and there's now a chance for peace, not just to be in his heart, but to spill over into the relationships in his life. If you believe that, say amen. It's because he's learning to do the right thing even when it's hard. Here's a question for you this morning. What is the next right thing that you need to do right now, even if it's hard? What's the next right thing that you need to do even if it's hard? Maybe it's to admit that you made a mistake and just apologize and ask for forgiveness. Maybe it's to forgive someone who hurt you badly and for the longest time you've been holding this grudge against that person and you know that the right thing to do is to let it go and forgive and move on. Maybe it's to reach out to someone that you know is hurting and I know you're busy but you're like, you know what, the right thing to do is to reach out to that person. I should do that. I want to do that. You know, maybe for you, it's, it's about, you know, being kind and sweet and to continue to do so, do so even when that other person is not so kind and not so sweet. Can I encourage you, don't stoop down to their level. You rise, you shine like the star that you are. You keep on being sweet. You keep on being nice. You keep on loving that person and peace will follow you. Amen. If you stoop down to their level, you're not going to have any peace at all. But if you keep on shining bright, you will have peace. Another one is maybe you have to make a tough decision. And you've been delaying this decision for the longest time. You know it's the right decision to make, but you've been, you know, just been kind of slothful about it. You've been kind of slow to make it. And as a result, there's no peace in your life. Maybe it's time to take that next step and make that decision. It's about doing the right thing even when it's hard. You're going to find this. When you do the right thing even when it's hard, the result is peace for yourself and for others because righteousness and peace can kiss each other. That's why that's the first thing about shining your light, whether it's at Christmas or any other time of the year, be the star that you are by doing the right thing. Turn around and say, do the right thing. You got to do the right thing. You got to do the right thing. In fact, there's another way to look at this verse is that righteousness and peace kiss each other. How many of us know that none of us can be perfectly righteous? No matter how much we try, no matter how good we think we are, none of us is perfectly righteous in God's eyes. In fact, there's a verse in the Bible that says no one is righteous, not even one. 
But the fact is this, is that because God loved us, he sent Jesus Christ for us to be our perfect righteousness, to do what he alone, God in the flesh, could do, live a life that met all of God's requirements, that met all of God's standards. Jesus was God's perfect righteousness, and he came, he died on the cross to pay for our sins so that we, through his perfect righteousness and his death on the cross, could experience perfect forgiveness and perfect peace. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here this place right now. Oh, come on. Shout to God in this place. Amen. Amen. It's because righteousness and peace kiss each other. When God's righteousness comes and we receive it into our lives, what we experience is peace because righteousness and peace go together. That's the first way we can let our light shine and be the star that you are this Christmas is to do the right thing even when it's hard. Number two, write this down. If you want to let your light shine and be the star that you are this Christmas, be as welcoming as possible to new people at church. You know, here at Thrive, we like to say something. We like to say welcoming is not just what we do, it's who we are. And, and see, you know, praise God that here at Thrive Church, I think we're known as quite a welcoming church. I often hear feedback from people who say, yeah, you guys are such a welcoming church. I've never been at a, such a welcoming church before. I've never high-fived people so much in my life. You know, they'll say that kind of stuff, and they're so blessed to be here. But let me tell you this, is that as a pastor, very often I'm proud of you guys for the way you guys reach out to people who are new. But how many of us know that we all have ways that we need to work on? Amen? That, and the fact is this, is that, I mean, last, last Sunday, I was on this stage, and, you know, I, 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 was, I noticed this one, one, one couple that was, was, in, it was in one of our services, and I noticed that I think they're here for the first time. I'm pretty sure they're here for the first time. And I was trying to get different people, different ways to say hi. And so I, from the stage, I say, okay, turn your neighbor, and don't just turn to the person on your right and your left. Turn to the, the person in front of you and behind you. Hint, hint. Give them a high five and say, it's great to see you here. And then I'd watch. And I'd be why do they not just turn back and say hi? Why do they just keep on high-fiving the person beside them and on the left and the right and not go behind? I'm like, okay, what's another way? Uh, okay, how about this? Uh, cross an aisle, cross a row. Go another section of the room, maybe to the row behind you and give them a high five and still nothing. I'm like, oh my goodness. Oh, all right. And, and of course, I've got a smile on my face. I'm not trying to show any kind of uh, you know, frustration or all, but I'm like, what's going on? And so finally, the service is over. This one couple that I think was new here at the church, they, they started walking out. They walked out really fast. And I was like, oh my goodness. So I started chasing after them. I started running after them. By that point, I got to outside the building. They were already in the car and they sped away. I thought to myself, oh my goodness. Did not anyone try to stop them to say hi? Did no one notice that they're new? They're not, they're not hard to notice. Did no one notice that they're new and stop them and say hi? And I, I go back and it's like, you know, it's kind of raining outside. I go back and I go back into the, the building and I see, oh, there's a group of, of first-time guests, our VIPs that are here at the Welcome Center. Welcome Center is doing a great job of, of welcoming them and, and hosting them and all that stuff. But then I also see pockets of thrivers who are just kind of talking to themselves without seemingly noticing anything that's going on, that there's new people there, or maybe think, oh, someone else has got them, you know, they'll deal with it. And as a result, I'm like, oh my goodness, haven't we learned anything here at Thrive Church? Welcome is not just what we do, it's who we are. And can we do this as church? I think we might need a reminder after a few months is that we might need a reminder that we as a church, we want to treat every person who steps into our door, through our doors for the first time, we want to treat them like God treated us with open arms. Amen. Amen. And see, here's the thing, is the fact is, God watches the way we treat new people in church. He watches the way we treat anyone in church, but especially people who are new. And in fact, how we welcome people into the church is a reflection of how much we welcome God in our lives and our church. If you don't believe that, look at Matthew chapter 25, 34 to 40. Read it with me in a big, loud voice. What does it say? It says, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for I was hungry and you gave me food I was thirsty and you gave me drink I was a stranger and you welcomed me take note of that keep on going what does it say verse 36 I was naked and you clothed me I was sick and you visited me I was in prison and you came to me then the righteous will answer him saying Lord when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you and when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you and the king will answer them truly I say to you as you did it to one of these least of my brothers you did it 
to me. See, what's going on? And by the way, if you're a first-time guest here, I want hope you to sit back, relax, enjoy the service because you are precious to God. You matter to us. And I, I, don't, we're not going to do some kind of crazy role-play exercise with you or anything. We just want you to sit back, relax, enjoy the service. Let me just talk to the to church really quick. Those you call throughout church, your home church, God watches the way we treat people in our church. God watches especially the way we treat new people in our church. In fact, he watches it so closely, God takes it personally, is that he says, whatever you do for that person, you did it for me. Whatever you didn't do for that person, you didn't do it for me. He takes it personally. And so I want to tell you this, if you want to welcome God in your life, if you want to experience every blessing that comes from knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior, then a huge part of welcoming God into your life is how we welcome people who are new to our church. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Amen. Let me ask this question. Could it be that the most important worship that you can give God today, that the most important worship that God is focused on this morning with you, or this morning, or next morning, or every time we're together, could it be that it's not the song you sing, or the offering you bring? Could it be not the notes that you take, or the hands that you shake, but it's actually how you welcome new people? It's how you treat people who are new here for the very first time. And because they matter to God, they matter to us as well. And so, you know what? I, I, I don't want to do review with you guys. I'd like to give you guys fresh stuff, but it seems like we need a little bit of a reminder and a little bit of review. And so on that basis, I'm going to give you five clues that you, maybe we still need to work on being welcoming. How many of these clues apply to you really quick, really quick? If you don't want to preach on this, then let's be really good at welcoming newcomers so I don't have to preach on this. Number one, you are not in the habit of looking for new people. Is that you? Is that, you know, you come to church and you are not looking for new people. Your radar is not up for new people. You're just looking for people that you know. When the, when the service is finished, when you walk into the building even, you, know, you can even go through a whole day without thinking about a new person. Because you're just kind of focused on your own crowd, your, your boys, man. That's my boys, you know, my girls. You know, you're just focused on your, your people, and you're not focused on anyone new. If that's you, then, man, God wants to work on you when it comes to being more welcoming. Number two is that when you see someone new, you don't go out of your way to greet them. You're like, oh, you know, the greeter team will do that. Pastor will do that. You know, oh, the, the welcome team, that's what they're there for. Oh, and are you, our church is growing. There's so many people, you know. And it's true, our church is growing. But the fact is this. We don't want to be a church that grows and gets weaker. We want to be a church that grows and matures. Amen. We want to be a church where as we grow in size, we get stronger. Every individual becomes a more Christ-like, more responsible, more loving church because that's how we're truly going to grow. Amen. Amen. And see, have you ever been to a gathering before? Maybe it's extended family or your in-laws or maybe this new place where you don't know most of the people and maybe outside of maybe one person, the rest of the people were really unfriendly. The rest of the people didn't really even notice that you were there or at least they didn't show that they noticed. And how did you feel on that day? You probably felt pretty left out. You probably felt like this is a pretty unwelcoming place. Oh, that person is nice, but everyone else, kind of unwelcoming. You know, I've been a guest at different churches before and been a, like a, a guest there as a, as, as a first-time guest or as a speaker. And I can tell you this, no matter how welcoming the pastor is, and no matter how welcoming the greeter team is, if the general population of the church is not very welcoming, the guests will still not feel very welcomed. They'll be like, well, the, the people doing their job are doing a good job, but this is overall not a very welcoming church. We don't want to be like that because welcoming is not what we do. It's who we are. And so can I encourage us, especially as we get into Christmas mode, let's be the most welcoming church we can possibly be. That begins with you and me. If you believe us, say amen. Now you may, well, JB, JB, wait, wait, wait. Because, you know, the reason why I'm not that welcoming is because I'm, I'm a careful guy. You know, I, I don't trust people so easily. You know, what if that person's a pedophile? You know, what if that person's a criminal? What if that person's a terrorist? Let me tell you this. You can be careful and welcoming at the same time, can't you? Right? Being welcoming doesn't mean you throw caution to the wind and you, you know, you put yourself in these really foolishly dangerous positions. No. You can be someone who goes out of their comfort zone a little bit to be nice and welcoming and friendly and a good host and a servant to others while at the same time time doing it in a discerning, careful way. Am I making sense in this place to anyone in this place right now? Amen? Can we try that? That's clue number two. Clue number three, you don't greet people until you're told to do so. You know, growing up, my parents used to have this thing with me all the time. Guests in the home, they come through the door. JB, come down, say hi. Hi. And going back to whatever I was doing. And you know what? When, when you're a guest in the home, you're like, okay, small kid, still growing up. You don't, you don't say it, but you know it. You think it. You know, what happens when you're in a church 
And the only time that you greet a person who's new is when the pastor tells you to greet them. It goes to show we've got some growing up to do. Amen. Amen. We don't want to be that kind of church. We want to grow up. We want to be great at welcoming people before anyone else does so. And so I encourage you, don't just do it when I tell you to do it. You do it before I do. I tell you to do it. You do it after I tell you to do it. Because when we do that, that's when we're truly welcoming. Number four, number four, you only reach out to people who look good to you. You're like, you see this good-looking person coming through the doors like, hello, welcome to Thrive. Hello, you're a VIP. Right? Or you see someone with a lot of bling and comes out of a nice car. Hello, we can use you here at Thrive Church. Hello, welcome to Thrive Church. But then you see someone who's maybe got, d- doesn't turn, turn your attention on, and, and you're just like, oh, next. Next, I'll see you later. Yeah, nice. Hi, hi. See, what is that? It's called favoritism. And uh, I, I'm here to tell you this. God's church is for people of every background, every culture, every race, every language, every age. And so in this place, we want to reach out to every single person, no matter how different they are from you, because God's, God's house is a house for every person. Amen. Amen. That's why I often say here at Thrive, at Thrive Church, we're not a Chinese church that happens to speak English. No, we are a multiracial, multi-ethnic, multicultural church that happens to have a lot of Chinese people because Vancouver has a lot of Chinese people. That's just the fact it is. That, that's just the fact of our city. But the fact is that we're not a Chinese church. We're a church for every nation, for every culture, for every person of every background. If you believe it, come on, give God a big, big hand in this place right now. Amen. Amen. Turn your give him a high five and say, God's house is for every nation. God's house is for every nation. And so we want to go out of our way, especially to reach out to people who might look different from you or who might speak a different language because that's the love of God. Number five, clue number five that we might struggle with being welcoming. After the initial high, you think your job is done. You're like a one welcome, you're like a one hit welcomer, as they say. Is that, you know, it's like for you, welcoming someone is just like a five second job. Hi, nice to meet you. And that's it, that's it, that's it. Hi, welcome to Thrive, and that's it. See, this is the thing, is that, if you're the type of person who spends five seconds welcoming one person who's new, and the rest of the time you're hanging out with your friends, hey, what do you guys want to do for lunch? Hey, what do you guys want to do right now? Yeah, like, you know, I was playing this really good video. I was watching this movie this past week. It was really good. And, and then you're ignoring the other person who's new, then I don't think you're being that welcoming. You're, 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 doing, you're doing more than nothing, but how many of us know that God welcomes us with open arms time after time after time after time after time? It's not just a one-hit welcome that God gives us, but we continue to serve those who are new. We take on an attitude of a host and a servant because that's what Jesus did for us. If you believe us, say amen. And so can I encourage everyone here at Thrive, not just at Christmas next week, especially then, but not just then, every time we're together, let's be quick to welcome people who are new. Don't wait till the last minute to do it. Don't say, oh, I got to do this and this and then I'll walk. No, you make it the first thing that you do. I do the same thing. Leverage the power of a team. If you're shy, if you're not really comfortable doing it yourself, leverage the power of a team. Ask a friend to go with you. Don't just serve them once, but keep your radar on. Turn to my radar's on. My radar is on. Stay attentive to their needs because when we do that, we shine a light. We're the stars that we are because welcoming is not just what we do. It's who we are. Amen. Turn your give them a high five and say, let's be welcoming. Let's be welcoming. Let's totally be welcoming. Let's do it every single week we're together. Christmas is coming where we're going to have a bunch of new people. I want, you to, I want to see you guys at your very best, and I believe it's going to happen. If you believe us, say amen. Amen. Number three, and we're going to close. If you want to shine your light this Christmas, if you want to be the star that you are this Christmas, practice generosity. You know, growing up as a kid in the 1980s, uh, you know, I listened to a lot of music. A lot, like my dad had all these mu- all this music, all these like records from the 60s and 70s and 80s that he would like listen to, and I would listen to it with him. And so I loved Whitney Houston, and I loved B- the Beatles and the Beach Boys, and I loved all this music from the 60s and 70s and the 80s. And uh, today I wanted to share with you a song that had a really big impact on me as a kid. And before I share the song with you, let me share with you some background as how that song came to be. See, from 1983 to 1985, there was a famine in Ethiopia, in Africa. And it was the first, it was the worst famine to hit this country in a century. And as a result of this famine, about 1.2 million people in Ethiopia died in the span of just two to three years. During that two, three-year span when the famine was going on, about 400,000 people became refugees. About 200,000 people were displaced from their homes. And 200,000 children lost their parents in that famine and became orphans. 
And, you know, this fan was starting to get worldwide attention. In the States, there was a music star called Harry Belafonte. And Harry Belafonte, he was like, you know, we got to do something about this. And what he decided to do was, you know, he's like, you know, what if we arrange for some of the biggest, brightest stars in music today in America to come together and we'll record a song, we'll sing a song, we'll record it, and the proceeds of that song, we're going we're to commit it all to helping with the famine in Ethiopia. And so Harry Belafonte and his team started to, to track down different stars in the music industry. Started talking about, hey, would you be involved? Would you be involved? Eventually, he got in contact with Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie, two of the biggest stars of the 80s. And they said, yeah, we would love to be involved. Not only would we love to be involved, we'd love to write the song. And so they started to write the song. And at the same time, Harry Belafontaine and his team, they assembled a group of about 45 to 50 of the biggest, brightest stars in American music to come together. And under the direction of a very famous producer called Quincy Jones, they recorded a song that became known as We Are the World. We Are the World. And uh, in fact, let me show you a picture of uh, this group that came together. These are some of the brightest stars back in the 1980s. I, I know a lot of you guys were born after the 1980s, you know, and uh, the fact is that I, I'm not sure how many of you guys know these stars. And so let me just introduce a few of them to you and see how much you know of 1980s American pop culture. Let, let's give you a little quiz here. So, so how about in the corner right there? In the corner, who's that? Do you have any idea? Any idea? That, that guy's name is Lionel Richie, right? Lionel Richie. Say you, say me, say it for always. That's the way it should be. That's Lionel Richie. Uh, next one here. How about, uh, how about this guy right here? How about this guy? Who, who, any, any idea who this guy is? His name is Ray Charles. Oh, Ray Charles. Ray Charles had an incredible background. When he was about five years old, he lost his vision. So he, just, he became blind um, and had to learn from a very early age to live without uh, being able to see. Not only that, his younger brother died in a horrific accident. Not only that, his mother died at the age of, when he was only 15 years old, he lost his mom. And he went through an incredibly painful past, but he had a lot of music in his heart. And just an incredible musician, an incredible artist, he started to combine gospel with R&B and started to create sounds that no one had ever heard before. He's now known as the father of soul. And so that's Ray Charles. Here's another one. Who's this Who, with, the, with the funky hair? Who's this? Any, any idea? Any idea? This is Cindy Lauper. Cindy Lauper, one of the biggest music stars of the 1980s, a great songwriter in her own right as well. Here, here, here's another one. Who's, who's this? Who's this? Who's this? Any idea? Before there was Beyonce, there was Diana Ross. Baby love, my baby love. That, that's, that, that's, that's Diana Ross right there. Right? Diana, Diana Ross and the Supremes. Who, who, who's this right here? Who's this right here? This is Willie Nelson, one of the biggest country music legends of all time on the road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again. That's, 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 Willie, that, that's Willie Nelson, right? He, he, this guy you probably know. Who's this? Who's this? This is Michael Jackson, the king of pop, all right? No one like him. Here's another one. Who, who's this? This, this? Who's this creepy-looking guy right there? He's, you can't even see his whole face. That's how creepy-looking he is. But this is a folk music legend. His name is Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan, his lyrics impacted everyone from the Beatles to so many other artists, and he, in many ways, changed popular music. Uh, How about another one? How about another one? Here, here, here's, who, who's the uh, who's, who's next one here? Who's the next one? Oh, yeah, this guy. Who, who's this guy? Any idea? He's got the raspiest voice in all of music. Born in the USA! His name is Bruce Springsteen, a huge rock star called Bruce Springsteen. I could mention so many more. There's like 44, 45 or 50. I won't mention all of them, but, but let me just give you a couple more. Here, here a couple more. Here, who's this? Who's that? Any idea? That is Tina Turner. She's the queen of rock, they say. You know, what's love got to do, got to do with it? Yeah, that, that's her. That's, that, that's Tina Turner. How, how about this guy? Who's, who's this guy? This is the sweet country music man, Kenny Rogers. You got to know when to hold him. Know when to hold him. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's Kenny Rogers. And then lastly, who's this guy here? Who's this guy here? That's Harry Belafonte. He's the guy who helped to assemble this whole team of people, these whole, this whole team of artists. He's actually a famous musician in his own right. He's the one who got, made famous the song, Deo, Deo, right? They're like, come on, we want to go home. That's, 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 that's Harry Belafonte. You have all these different stars from all these different regions, from R&B, from pop, rock, folk, country. They all come together to sing one song together, and they're going to record the song, and the proceeds of that song are going to go to raise uh, relief for the famine in Ethiopia, and the song was called We Are the World. The chorus of the song goes like this. It says, we are the world, we are the children, we are the ones who make a brighter day, so let's start giving. And see, um, do you guys want to hear this song? Do you guys want to hear it? 
you know, I, I don't just like hearing the song. In fact, I like to see the song being sung. And so this is actually a recording or a video recording of them actually singing the song when they recorded it. I, I find it's actually quite a touching video, just watching all these stars come together. Let's take a look. We're not going to look, look the whole thing. It's about eight minutes in total, but we're going to be maybe about three, about three minutes or so. Let's take a look at it right now together. You know, we Are the World was released in March of 1985, and it quickly became the fastest-selling American pop single in history. It ended up selling over 20 million copies, and it raised over $50 million in humanitarian aid for Africa, and specifically for Ethiopia during the famine. And you know, earlier this past week, uh, my, I know I'm kind of touched right now, but I guess it's one of those things where I just, just the thought of that just kind of gets me sometimes. And you know, once this past week, Bradley and I, we were listening to this song in the car, and you know, I'm, I'm in the front seat, he's in the back seat, and, 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 he, and he asked me this question. He's like, Daddy, like, what's your favorite part of the making of this song? And uh, he said, what's the favorite part of the making, what's your favorite part of the making of the song? Because he heard me talk about how the song came together. And, and I was like, yeah, like, you know what? My favorite part is that here we have so many artists from all these different genres, all these different fields, who are used to getting their own attention, who are so incredibly talented, but they decide that for the sake of a cause that's much, much bigger than themselves, they're going to leave that at least for a moment and work together to help do something amazing. And to me, that is beautiful. To me, that is touching. To me, that is powerful. And why do I mention that today? It's because here at Thrive Church, each one of you is a star. At Thrive Church, every one of you, God's word says, is a star. It says, let their light shine before men. You are stars that shine in this universe. And each of you is incredibly talented. I don't need to go meet Michael Jackson to meet a star. I've met a ton of stars just here this morning, meeting every single one of you. Every single one of you is a star. Turn here and say, you're a star. You're a star, and, and the fact is this, is that something powerful happens. Something beautiful happens. Something, I believe, of God happens. When we take the stuff that God has given to us and we use it for a purpose that's bigger than us, and I believe that God made us to do exactly that. You know, we aren't the world, but we are the church. Amen? And you know, it says, you know, we are the world, we are the children, we are the ones who make a better day. So let's start living. Can, can, I, can I give you another version? We are the church, we are God's children, we are the ones who make a better day. So let's start giving. And how do we do that? We do that by practicing generosity. We do that by giving of what we have. The fact is this, the stakes could not be any higher than what we are dealing with because the fact is we're not just here to save starving people who will starve for just a lifetime. We're here to save starving people who will starve for eternity if they are without Jesus. And the fact is this, the worst part is that most of them don't even know that they're starving. Most of them don't even know that they're in the middle of a spiritual famine that Jesus can help them from. And so we need to share Jesus with our city. We need to share Jesus with our family and friends. Our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, our classmates, whether they know it or not right now, the fact is they need Jesus just as we do. And because of that, there are serious eternal consequences at stake. And that's why as a church, we need to practice generosity. That's why as a church, we can't just sit on our hands and be a social club together. But we are here, and the reason why we're here is to live out loud and to lead others to Jesus. Because that's why God put us on this planet. That's why God put us in Vancouver. It's because he loves people. Come on, give God a big hand here in this place right now. Amen. So what can we do to practice generosity? Maybe you are already practicing generosity. Maybe there's someone in your life right now that you're really trying hard to reach out to. That's awesome. I, I encourage you to keep on doing that. May God bless you in that. But here are two specific ways that together as a church, we can come together and do something together to practice generosity. Let me share with them really quickly right now. Number one is in this coming year, as we end 2019, I want you to you know, prayerfully consider giving a year-end gift here at Thrive Church. It's what we call our 2019 year-end gift. Many of you guys know that this is a sowing season for us financially, where we have made an investment, 
and this investment is one that comes at not a low cost. There, there's some certain costs involved, some pretty high costs at the front end especially, where we, we've, we've renewed on this lease and we're taking over a new uh, kids center, which you guys like our kids center? Isn't it beautiful? And, and you know, the, the, the fact is this, is that we're, we're doing all that right now and you're know, buying equipment, all that stuff. And that, that's why you, even when you see our, you know, our financial statement later on, you'll see that it's reflecting that. There's a lot of costs, especially on the front end that we're doing. And the fact is that because it's not because we love to spend money, it's because we love to see people's lives changed. And we want to prepare and invest in not just the next two months or the next year, but we want to invest in the next four or five years that we're here together and uh, at, you know, in this venue. And so we want to do the best we possibly can to reach our city, and that's why we're doing it. And, and so, you know, with all that in mind, we want to encourage you to give a year-end gift. Uh, just like last year, you know, last year I was so proud of our church. Back on December, I still remember the date, December 29, 2018 of last year. I remember I was on vacation at the time. Uh, Pastor Charlie and I, we were, and our kids were, we were in, uh, in the States, and, and I wrote you guys from, uh, you know, from the States, and I wrote you, my, you know, my, my daily game-sharing email, and you know, I email the church every day. If you're not on that yet, get on that. It's my you know, God and me experience sharing, where I share with you what I'm learning in the Bible from day to day, and, and, and what I wrote at the beginning of that sharing that day on December 29, 2018, I wrote, hi gamers, that's what I call those of you who do the game, the God and me experience with me, and I wrote this, I said, what an incredible year we've experienced together at Thrive Church. In 2018, we saw record numbers of people come to know Jesus Christ is our Savior. Our, our weekly worship attendance continued to increase, and our church made a real difference in the lives of more people throughout greater Vancouver and beyond than ever before. Truly, it was a year when God expanded our territory and his territory in us. As we head into the final days of 2018, if you have been blessed by the ministry of Thrive Church this past year, would you consider giving a year-end gift above and beyond your regular tithes? Thank you so much for considering giving a year-end gift to Thrive. And that was on December 29, 2019, or 2018. And you know what happened is that in just three days, December 29, December 30, December 31, you guys gave about three times what we would normally expect to receive in monthly offerings. Three times more. And, and you know, in fact, our, our CFO, our chief financial officer, she said, you know, it's as if God knew that we would need this amount as we go forward with all the different projects that we're doing. She was so excited and so thankful. Now the time has come again to consider giving a year-end gift. And would you consider giving a year-end gift for this year of 2019? When you give a year-end gift, you're going to keep these things in mind. Number one is that your year-end gift is not you tipping the church. No, that's not what it is. It's not you going, oh, the church needs money, give them money. No, it's, it's about this. It's you personally thanking God for his faithfulness, his protection, and his blessings this past year. It's you responding to God in a real practical way, saying, God, I don't take for granted the ways you provided for me this past year. I don't take for granted the ways you protected my kids this past year. I don't take for granted the, the kind of opportunities that fell in my lap this kind of year. And, and, you know, and because of that, I'm not just going to give you my tithes and my offerings. I want to give you a special gift, and that is what we call a year-end gift. Another one is that your year-end gift is you equipping your church, Thrive Church, for our mission together. Is that when you give your year-end gift, you are resourcing our church to enable us to fulfill our mission of reaching people in our city throughout greater Vancouver and beyond. And, you know, the fact is this, is that, you know, when you give, it matters. God uses it in a powerful way. Number, th number three, your year-end gift is you making room for God to do even greater things in your life and in Thrive Church in 2020. It's not just about thanking God for the past. It's about getting ready for the future. It's saying, God, I'm gonna make room in my life. I'm gonna take a step of faith and make some room, more room in my life than possibly ever before to let you work in my life by giving this year-end gift. Because how many of you know you can never outgive God? When you give, God gives even more and supplies and blesses you in so many ways, far beyond all we could ask for or imagine. That's the testimony of so many people who've given in the past is you can never outgive God. And so let's consider giving a good year-end gift this coming year because the best is yet to come. If you believe it, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Praise God. Amen. Proud of you, church. You know, I, I don't need to remind you that your year-end gift is also tax-deductible, right? And and you can yeah. And at the end of the year, what you can do is, you know, what you can do is you go to mythrive.info. You can click on online offering. You can give your year-end gift that way. You can give it physically when offering bags come, uh, you know, in the next couple of weeks. But the fact is this: your generosity makes a difference. It makes a real difference in resourcing your church, in giving God thanks, and preparing and making room for the future. If you believe us, say Amen.
2 Corinthians chapter 9, 6 to 8 says it this way. Read with me, big loud voice. 1, 2, 3, it says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what is he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And so, you know what? Praise God. 2018 was an incredible year. It was a record-breaking year. But you guys know 2019 was an even more incredible year. And we, we, we saw even more people come to know Jesus this past 2019 year. We saw even more people get baptized this past 2019 year. We, we saw even more people come to Christ and their families change this coming year and, you know, this past year. And we believe the best is yet to come. And so let's sow into the kingdom of God together. That's one way you can practice generosity. You can never outgive God. But there's a second way I'm going to encourage you to practice generosity. And you know about our already. Many of you are doing it already, but let me tell you one last time, because it's my last opportunity to do it right now, is invite your friends who don't go to church to come to our Christmas service this coming Sunday. Invite them, you know, drive, you know, be, be their Uber and bring them over. You know, you know, you know say that, you know, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take you to lunch after, you know, just do, do whatever you can to bring them to our Christmas services because lives change when we get together here at Thrive Church because God is here, because Jesus is here. In fact, I can think of not just, you know, is, is Sunday Sundays, the Christmas Sunday is not just one of the biggest times of the year for us, you know, crowd-wise, but even more, I just think of the lives, the individual lives that have been changed at our Christmas service. I can think of, you know, just even just a, a number of families, a number of friends, a number of individuals, their first time in church was our Christmas service. And it was at the Christmas service that they raised their hand for the very first time to receive Jesus Christ in their life. And they're still here with us today. Some of them got baptized this past year. Some are now helping to lead small groups this past year. It's an amazing thing when, when we step out in faith. We've seen God do some amazing things. And so we believe that this, this coming Sunday is going to be a significant Sunday for many, many people. Would, let's, would, would we do a great job of inviting our friends, our neighbors, our family members to come to our Christmas services, believing that God is in the business of changing lives, and this coming Sunday is going to be one of those days. Come on, give God a big, big hand here this place right now. Amen. Oh, come on, give God a big, big hand here this place right now. Amen. Would you read with me? Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. It says, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. See, what does it say? It says, those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. You know, you are a star, God says. And if you want to be the star that you are, then let me tell you what happens here. It says, those who lead many to righteousness. Who's righteousness? Jesus is righteousness. Jesus is perfect righteousness. He's perfect peace, and he's perfect righteousness. And those who lead many to Jesus, who is righteousness, that's how you shine like a star. Because the fact is, when you lead someone to Jesus, that's not just something that impacts them now. It's something that they'll feel for eternity. It's one of the greatest investments you can possibly make. Where you lead someone to Jesus, that's going to be remembered forever. That's going to make a difference for eternity. And so when I, can I encourage you, let's lead people to Jesus this coming Christmas. The reason why you and I are here today is because someone else was generous. Someone else decided to practice generosity by inviting you to church. Or someone else decided to practice generosity by praying for you. Maybe someone else decided to practice generosity by opening up their small group to you or building a church for you or did some other thing to be generous to you, to show you God's love. We would not be here if it were not for the generosity of other people. But I believe that God doesn't just, you know, God, it's not just people working, but it's God who uses stars to lead us to Jesus. God uses the generosity of others to lead us to Jesus. God uses your generosity to lead other people to Jesus. And so this Christmas, can I encourage us? Let's be the stars that we were made to be. Let's let our light shine like never before. How do we do that? Let's review. You shine like a star when you do the right thing even when it's hard. You shine like a star when you are as welcoming as possible to people who are new at our church. You shine like a star when you practice generosity. And so let's do that together right now. Could we all stand to our feet?